from Forward Direction LLC, it's the You Should Listen podcast, a show that intersects sports, business, fashion, and hip-hop culture. We draw on experiences from influential people who have carved out a name in their respective creative space. We hope you pick up a few gems along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Name, image, and likeness, better known as NIL. It's a hot topic when it comes to student athletes and the NCAA. How are they going to be compensated? Who is going to help them get paid? Do they have to file taxes? Are there contracts? The list of legal ramifications goes on and on. Today's guest has a solution. A former Wake Forest soccer player turned tech entrepreneur has created the complete NIL solution, Spry. Lyle Adams is a good friend and current classmate of mine. We discuss his days as a student athlete, working at Uber before it was cool, and the light bulb moment when he knew he wanted to turn his idea into a business that would protect student athletes. If you're interested in the name, image, and likeness space, or even wanted to get into the tech side of sports, then you should listen. Enjoy. there was a movie about your life who would play you and what would be the title and what would it be about uh the title would be lila of the crocodile like the childhood book that um I, I i frequently read as a child um who would play me i'm kind of an old soul so i'm guessing maybe danny glover nice. or um uh pal um actually keenan from keenan and kale okay on nickelodeon back in the day Okay, throwback, throwback. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have the CEO of Spry, Lyle Adams, good friend of mine and also a classmate. Lyle, go ahead and introduce yourself to the fans and listeners out there. Um, thanks for having me. Um, Lyle Adams, I'm the CEO of Spry and Spry is a technical solution to help uh, athletic departments and student athletes navigate the compliance complexities of the impending NIL legislation. I'm currently finishing up uh, at Columbia right now where I'm getting my master's in sports management with Layden. Um, and I'm a proud uh, Wake Forest graduate. Go Deeks. There you go. There you go. Shameless plug. But uh, nonetheless, we are here. Um, I was going to ask, so where are you from? I know you're actually in Florida uh, right now. But for again, for the fans and listeners that are out there joining the show, just wanted to kind of talk about your upbringing and um, get them up to speed. I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, but I didn't spend much time in Jamaica. My parents uh, relocated to Central Florida, the Orlando area when I was like 20 months old. So I consider Orlando home. So I grew up in Orlando and I attended Winter Park High School. Uh, and after graduating um, from Winter Park, I went to Wake Forest um, University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, in terms of my upbringing, I had a pretty happy childhood. Um, my parents were really open-minded and it allowed me to experience a lot of different things. Uh, despite playing college soccer, I played basketball growing up. I played baseball. I ran track and field. I tried all sports. My parents loved um, athletics. You know, we you know obviously did well in school. Um, being parent, you know, having West Indian parents, you know, performing in the classroom is also very important. So you know, focused on my studies. Um, un- unfortunately, I didn't really focus on a musical instrument. The one regret I have from my childhood: my parents didn't ask me to play a piano or forced me to play something. But otherwise, like I said, it was a really good childhood growing up. Um, my, aunts and, my aunts and uncles lived in the Orlando area too. So I had tons of cousins around growing up as well. And 
So it was a really positive experience. Gotcha. Great. And I know that you shouted out Go Deeks at the top of uh, the podcast. I'm just curious, what other schools were you looking at and what made you choose for North Carolina? Um, so funny story, to be honest with you. So um, I don't know if you know anything about, you know, the recruiting calendar. Most recruits commit their junior year of high school. Um, so I played for a very competitive club soccer team growing up. Um, we won the state championships, you know, freshman year, I lost in the semis, um, sophomore year, but my club team broke up my junior year. Um, one of my good friends, the teammates ended up getting accepted to the national team residency program at IMG. And his dad was the team manager. Then one of her coaches got into law school, was going to move. Another coach got married. So the team kind of fell apart my junior year. So I kind of fell through the cracks from a recruiting standpoint. Um, why that's important is... Um, I was not really looking at soccer schools my senior year. I was looking at more academic schools. So I was talking to Columbia, ironically, Cornell, a couple of small schools in Florida. Uh, so I applied to Cornell, Columbia, Michigan, uh, Wake Forest in my first round. I, I heard back from Wake early admissions. I got a very favorable academic scholarship. So that's why I selected Wake Forest. I didn't really anticipate playing soccer at Wake because, you know, I was... I applied and got it academically. So I was like, hey, I, I need to kind of give this a shot. So on new student orientation day, I ended up walking into the coach's office um, when I was on campus touring and asked him for an opportunity to walk on. It kind of caught Coach Jay Vidovich off guard at the time because no one had ever really done that before. And for those who aren't aware, Wake Forest is a, is a traditionally a, a soccer powerhouse, a top 20 program in the country. So typically his recruiting class in set for a year now and didn't have any space so he's like hey thank you so much for your interest however though it didn't work like that but let me make some phone calls and you know if people checked out you can have the opportunity to walk on so my references checked out and he gave me a shot to walk on and that kind of solidified my decision of going to Wake Forest. Nice um what did you study at Wake Forest? Um I was an econ major. Okay and just curious what made you uh decide to kind of major in that you usually see student athletes uh, kind of in towards like the, I guess I would say the quote unquote easier uh, majors, not going to call any of those out, but just curious. Uh, no, no, no. It's a, it's a fair question. Like um, I was a walk on. So, so I didn't really anticipate, like I said, having a brief professional career. And I always did like economics. Uh, yeah, I love numbers. I love like the critical thinking aspects. So econ really just caught my eye um, early on. Uh, and also at the same time, my parents are um, mathletes, you want to call them. My dad's a computer science professor. My mom's a statistician. So I kind of wanted to revolt from my parents and do the one thing they didn't really enjoy, and that was econ. Gotcha. And what was, I guess, the thought process or what did you envision yourself doing after college? Obviously having a successful career on the field and then majoring in econ from illustrious schools. To be honest, like at the time, I was just trying to get through college. Um, like when I, when I came into Wake, I had aspirations of, okay, let me graduate and uh, hopefully get go to grad school immediately after to get like, you know, something more in economics, maybe a PhD or like a master's in economics was my initial thinking. Um, however, though, I ended up getting, you know, having a successful college career was nice. And now from there, I realized I had, there's interest from the professional ranks. So I tried to be a pro soccer player for a couple of years. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out having a long career, but it was a wonderful experience. To be very honest and transparent, I wasn't at the same level of talent as necessary to be successful at that level. 
I would have been on the roster. I wouldn't have been able to play all the time. Um, and these they're players who are better than me. Gotcha. Um, I was going to ask you: Was there anything you were able to kind of leverage from your time as a student athlete, or even a professional athlete, to the real world? I, I think there's numerous parallels. You know, you as yourself playing collegiate basketball know that. I think. Um, being a team oriented player is very, very important in uh, corporate life. Like, you know, being able to work towards a goal, um, interacting with teammates, uh, being like, so it's a friendly coworker, which I got from like, you know, my soccer experiences. Cause as you know, um, soccer teams consist of roughly 30 players, all from different backgrounds, all from different experiences, right? So coming together for a common goal. So I really got the sense of that. And I would say the other thing was being coachable. Right. Like, you know, there were certain things I didn't know early on in my career, but my boss quickly realized, hey, I, I can give Lyle direct and straightforward feedback. And he yearns for that. And he'll now make he'll be better about that going forward in the future. Right. So like, I would say, like, you know, the coachability, um, not really taking things personal and being a team player is one of the three big lessons I learned. And also, I'd say the benefit of hard work. Like, you know, putting forth the effort, whether it's like studying for an exam, like even if it was a financial planner or learning how to write some code. Like I knew from being an athlete, if you put in the work in the back end, you'll see, you'll reap the benefits, you know, on test day, whether it's, whether that's a game or um, a presentation, like, you know, the, the, the power of presentation. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's wonderful. And I know that um, you obviously transitioned from Wake into the professional uh, side of sports and to the real world. What was like your first quote unquote real job? Um, my first real job was at Living Social. So uh, Living Social was a daily deals company founded in the um, late 2000s, um, Groupon's main competitor. So I started there in early 2011 um, and I was an HR analyst. So that was my first um, real job. Gotcha. And what, what did you go on to do after that? So after um, spending some time in that role, I transitioned to the sales strategy team at Living Social, where you know, we worked on some of the sales strategy, return on investments, search engine optimization stuff. And I left um, Living Social in the summer of 2012, and I took a job at a small company at the time that was called Uber Technologies. Um, uh, why I say it was small, no one really knew what Uber was at the time. I said, I like to tell people before Uber was cool. Um, and then I spent the next roughly almost six years at Uber in a variety of different roles. And just curious, it sounds like you probably had a really good, um, um, I guess, time at Living Social and they were on the up and up as far as a business standpoint. What made you kind of take that risk and, and join a, like you said, at the time, a smaller company such as Uber? So it was a combination of factors. It was not really one specifically. I think the Uber experience just really caught my eye. Um, you know, I, doing some of the, rec the reporting stuff at Living Social, like, you know, I was seeing some stuff that didn't really give me confidence from like, you know, my econ background. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, like I said, I took a ride in Uber and I pressed the button and Escalate showed up. Gotcha. And at the time, this was circa 2012 in DC, like there was no credit card payments. It was cash only. Um, being a single male, it was hard to get a cab sometimes to go visit my aunt who lived in Virginia. And like my first Uber experience, the rider, the driver didn't care. He's like, hey, where would you like to go? He opened the door for me. He gave me some water, drove me to my aunt's place. And then I didn't have to pay for anything. And I was like, this is the future. I, told, I remember telling my dad. Um, so that's kind of like what, you know, you know, spurred me to try to like, you know, pursue the company and, and, and hope they would hire me at some point. Nice. That's cool. So obviously you had quite the 
quite the stops after Wake Forest, play professional soccer, living social, and then helping out start with the, with the early uh, remnants of, um, of Uber. What was the decision to kind of go back to school to get your master's? Because like you said, we are classmates at Columbia. I guess what was your rationale into making that transition to the sports industry? Uh, being a former athlete, I, I, I'd always had a love for sports, um, you know, firsthand, like, you know, being able to walk on that wake somewhat sort of changing my trajectory. Obviously, it takes a lot of different things that played a role in that over the course of the time, but it's a really key moment in myself. Uh, and then when I stopped playing, I realized some of my colleagues um, or former teammates or um, college teammates were struggling to somewhat like, you know, get jobs or find their footing after their playing career ended. And it kind of hurt me. And I, I thought for me, like, hey, let me go back and learn the business of sports to figure out now how we can, like, you know, help some of these athletes transition. Because you know the math firsthand, like, the average playing career, whether it's in the NBA, NFL, MLS, is sub three years. Mm-hmm. The people you see on TV, the, the superstars are anomalies. Exactly. It's, it's a lot of, like, shorter careers. And I felt like, you know, having my work experience and my playing experience, I, I wanted to do more. And that's what somewhat, you know, spurred my decision to go back to school. And, and, and sports is a very unique business. Like I had great business uh, experience, whether at Living Social and Uber, but, you know, the business of sports is just so different. Like, you know, I think, you know, Professor Rossner likes to say it's the cooperation competition paradox, right? Like the league, the teams have to work together, right? To make the league work. But at the same time, they're trying to compete against each other to win a championship, which is like completely like, you know, not like traditional world, like the antitrust laws, like Nike and Adidas aren't working together, yeah. right? To like create a new, to create a new, like, you know, league. They're competing against each other, but in the sports world, it's somewhat different. So for me, like, hey, let me go to like, go back to school, learn these in and outs, and then try to figure out how I can like, you know, help future generations of athletes succeed. Gotcha. And obviously talking about helping future athletes succeed, I wanted to talk about your current baby right now, which is Spry. Uh, again, I know you mentioned it at the top of the show, but would love for you to provide an overview of what Spry actually is and how it's going to help student, student athletes in regards to the name image likeness space. So um, looking at NIL, you know, before we dive into this, let's take a 30,000 foot view of NIL. Um, I think roughly 50 to 70% of athletes get deals when it's all said and done. I think the money is a right tail graph and not everyone gets big money. Like um, a Caitlin Ohasi, the UCLA gymnast or Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Zion Williams. I think there's very few collegiate athletes that have that national marketability. But looking at you and I, we were both collegiate athletes. Maybe we have a camp or a clinic in our hometown. Maybe or you know, our AAU basketball team or our club soccer team wants to put us on a post for a tryout. I think there's a lot more of those opportunities now than people are underestimating. So I think the volume is very high. And, and why I think that's very important now is compliance offices aren't like equipped to handle that kind of volume. And for me, if an athlete is not eligible, they can't make money from NIL. So for me, how do I solve the compliance problem is kind of the thesis I went into um, you know, this NIL landscape with. So there's some great companies out there doing really good work around you know, helping athletes build their brand and market themselves and find opportunities. But like, unfortunately, I wasn't good enough to, to have a brand when I was in college and I'm okay with that. But for me, I'm like, how do you make sure the compliance officer who might have 500 student athletes for themselves can stay above this ground to make sure the athlete can be successful? And then furthermore is the educational piece. 
Like, how do you not educate an 18 year old about how to pay their taxes, right? Because the you know, student athletes might get paid as contractors, so they have to pay 1099s. So how do you help them with that? How do you teach them about how to select a business entity? or you know, how to create a contract, how to read a contract before signing. All of those things really like stood out with me about some of the potential problems. And that's what I attempted to solve with the creation of Spry. Gotcha, was there like a light bulb moment? I know that you mentioned some of the other companies are kind of helping navigate the landscape in regards to pairing athletes with brands or different opportunities for them to earn some type of formalized compensation. But was there like an actual moment where you're like, okay, I think there's a niche or a market for this and I'm going to attempt to solve this problem? Um, initially when it was passed, um, payment piece really stood out to me from the get-go. Cause I kept saying to myself, like, how are they gonna pay these athletes? Cause you have to have some visibility into the payment. It's what always stood out to me. And I, I think it dates back to Uber early on. Um, so my first six months, my first like, you know, six months of Uber, I started this summer. Um, and for those who don't know the transportation side, Halloween and New Year's are Uber's biggest nights, 1A and 1B, Halloween and New Year's. And back then we used to, you know, as we would onboard a new partner, they would fill out a 1099 form which we would capture for taxes. But at the end of the year, I had to now manually enter all this tax information. I was like, wow, this is absolutely not the most efficient solution, but we ended up automating it. But, you know, um, you know, and then like, you know, it was a really good learning for me because I started learning about, hey, these, they're taxed differently than me. And as a result of that, like, you kind of have to be aware of this. So some partners were saying, hey, I, I saved 40% of my paycheck. I'll handle my taxes at the end of the year. And these were grown professionals who had their own individual business. And that was kind of like a lesson for me at, you know, the age of 25. So for me, I'm like, I didn't know that at 18. So how can I educate or help an 18 year old now navigate those un, unintended consequences of making money? Because I think everyone's been there with their first job, yeah. right? You know, you say, hey, like my hour, I'm making $10 an hour. I work 20 hours. My paycheck should be $200. Right. But when you get your paycheck, you realize, whoa, 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 what, what's happened? This is not $200. It says $200, but there's a line item underneath that for Social Security, then yeah. there's state, then there's federal, and you make less money. But like that was a harsh experience for me to learn the first time. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, how do you not prevent that experience from happening to you know collegiate athletes who now have to pay their own taxes and save? So that was like kind of the light bulb moment when I said, oh, they can make some money. I immediately went to like the oh, they have to pay taxes. And that kind of like, you know, was the initial light bulb moment. Gotcha. And kind of piggybacking off of that and helping student athletes, I, I saw that you were recently in the news. Congratulations on your partnerships with Wake Forest and Oral Roberts. Just kind of curious, how did those conversations um, start and how were you able to kind of, in a sense, sell your business to those entities? Um, so that's where my, you know, tech experience came really into play. And it was like early on with Spry. So when I had the idea, I had it with a couple of my, you know, classmates, I was bouncing ideas off of them to see if we get validation and they kind of like solidified a plan. I reached out to a good friend of mine to help build a prototype. We built like a clickable prototype so I could now have conversations with schools. And the reason why I was like, hey, let me go validate my hypothesis to see if this is a problem or like an appetite. So I started like, you know, reaching out to some of my college teammates who were now either coaches or, you know, worked in the college front offices to introduce me to some of their colleagues. And throughout some of these initial conversations, I started gathering more steam that I was, I was moving down the right path. 
Um, Columbia then played a big role. Some of the professors, some of our professors at Columbia are very well connected, so I could ask them questions. I could, they could provide feedback on my idea. And that's kind of how it, like you know, initially started. Um, so when I felt confident, I had um, something to actually show someone. I reached out to Wake Forest and my old compliance director, um, and say, "Hey, can we sit down and talk?" Um, he was very impressed with the product. We, we kept iterating back and forth. And, as I kept getting more signal, I kept building more and more. Um, and that's what led me to um, ultimately having a product that Wake was feeling comfortable, like, you know, endorsing and setting a partnership with. Uh, in terms of Oral Roberts, it was an organic conversation. Um, one of my, you know, I would say mentors, um, Debbie Yao, is the former AD at NC State. And I, you know, I showed her the platform and she gave me some really good feedback and insights being a former athletic director. And she put me in touch with some other people. Um, and through like, you know, that mutual connection, I eventually, you know, got someone who Oral Roberts reached out, we started discussing and they were really interested in what I was building. Um, and that's how that partnership formed. That's wonderful. And, I, and I'm sure there's other schools on the horizon as well, but just kind of curious, I know that ESPN recently published an article talking about um, almost like the outline of the name image likeness from your uh, viewpoint or from your um, perspective, what do you see as the future of name image likeness? obviously in regards to Spry and in regards to the NCAA. I, I think a lot of student athletes are gonna benefit from this. Like I'm, I'm very happy it's been passed. And like, I don't know what the future looks like 24 months from now. That's the thing. I think it's going to have to um, be processed at a year at a time or eight months at a time. Because as the market evolves and changes, new regulations and rules will be put in place. But overall, I think it benefits a lot of people. Like, so I think it benefits the power five, but I think it also benefits college towns immensely, right? Just because you're not at a big school, like you, you could be in a college town, you could be a big deal in that, in that town. Like you might not have professional you know, aspirations or like you not, might not make it, but if you can now make a couple thousand dollars while in college, maybe that you know, gives you some money to send home to your family. Maybe you don't have to have student loans anymore when you graduate. Maybe you can start saving for, you know, um, retirement puts some of that money away in the stock market to invest. I think the benefits are, you know, there's numerous. Like I think that you know, as, as the market evolves, we'll find out more and more benefits going forward. So that's excited. But I, I, I don't know what the future holds there. That's what makes it kind of an exciting space from like a product standpoint or what you're building and you're learning as is. But from an athlete benefit, I, just, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Definitely. And just wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit. It sounds like you're a little bit of a, I guess, a jack of all trades. You're, you're juggling, obviously, school right now with Ivy League program in Columbia and then starting your own company with Spry. How do you find the balance? Uh, time management. Um, I'm pretty, like, you know, you know, I would say structured with how I handle my time right now. Um, you know, Columbia gives you a lot of options to take really good programs, and for that, I'm very grateful. Uh, my initial plan before Spry became something was to um, take three classes in my last semester to start looking for a job or an internship. So I kind of had my first two semesters planned out accordingly. So right now I only have three classes left to graduate and I've take, I'm taking those basically on Mondays, Monday and Tuesday nights. So like for me, I, I spend Mondays and Fridays focusing on my you know, homework and studies and the, the, the midweek is focused on Spry activities. Uh, but it's like it's just it's managing your time and being able to set expectations and be honest and hey is this a good idea this is not a good idea or should i take this call or should i push this call till next week 
great that having that that structure and being able to kind of map out from a time management perspective is very key. Um, I know you talked about some of the activities that Spry has in the pipeline, but can you share with us kind of what's next or what are the next steps? Next steps for us is to continue like, you know, securing some beta customers. Um, you know, hopefully we'll announce five more customers in the next week or so. I've been rather busy, um, you know, you know, doing product demos with various D1 and D2 institutions. So hopefully we can like close a few more beta customers, which we'll release in the next coming weeks. And then over the course of the next like six weeks, continue, you know, building out our feature set. Because um, it's, it's really nice talking to power five schools, mid-majors and smaller schools as well. Because like they each have different approaches and problems or concerns around NIL. So for us, it's really nice to have this, you know, these various partners to give you different perspective, because I feel like with building a great product perspective is key, right? Because as you know, like, you know, being an entrepreneur yourself, like, or even like how we're doing this podcast, you probably, you know, tested out a few podcast platforms before you selected one. There were certain things that you liked and didn't like that fit you as a, um, as a host. And so for me, using these beta customers to refine our suite of products is really, really important because we want to have a, a solution that not only fits the large power five institution, but also the mid-major or the D2 program can find benefit in the platform as well. Gotcha. That's wonderful. And I know you've seen a lot of success in the recent months in regards to Spry, but just curious, what's been like some of the biggest obstacles or hurdles that you've been able to overcome? It's, um, we're in the middle of a pandemic and which is, you know, you know, hurt collegiate athletics exponentially. Right? With, you know, you know, don't need to dive into the details without having fans. Um, a lot of programs are hurting in terms of revenue. Um, so being able to find time with, you know, compliance directors or athletic directors have been, is really difficult right now because they have more pressing things on their plate. Um, so it, that's, been, that's been the biggest challenge. It's, just, it's not really a quote unquote problem, right? If that makes sense. It's just like, hey, like they're focused on like, you know, COVID protocols, like making sure student athletes are safe. Like they have good testing in place, like figuring out to do with extra years of eligibility for your seniors who might've lost the spring sports or, you know, you're not playing in the fall. So they're just really, really busy juggling all these things that are affecting or impacting collegiate athletics right now. So it's been kind of tough to get, you know, meaningful face time um, with the decision makers to get feedback. but. I think that's one aspect. And the other aspect is, as you know, when you're know, starting your own business, it's, it's getting buy-in and like kind of, you know, getting people aware of your product, right? So it's, it's, it's a lot of like phone calls and networking and interviews to like build your product and brand. But I would say the, the biggest, you know, biggest quote unquote challenge has been like talking to the stakeholders because they're just so busy right now with everything that's going on in the world. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you're doing a great job. You and the team are doing an excellent job. Just started following you guys on Twitter. So if you're not, go ahead and follow them. Make sure the handle is S-P-R-Y. Um, I want to kind of transition a little bit. I know you talked about the pandemic. Uh, one question I usually ask my guests is, if you could sum up 2020 in one phrase, what would it be? Great question. I would say... Um... Uh, challenging. I would say challenging. Um, obviously, the, the 2020s impacted so many different people in so many different ways. Right? You know, a lot of people unfortunately have, like, you know, have, have had their occupations or been hurt that way. You've had the actual 
COVID impacting the health of, of many families. I think we've, you know, seen over 200,000 lives lost in America. Like, it's just been a challenging year, right, uh, for everyone involved. Like, um, I don't think as the year started, people anticipating spending eight, nine months at home, working from home. It's just, like I said, the, the challenges vary from person to person or family to family, but like, I don't think it's anyway what anyone had in mind when the year started. Um, but hopefully, like I said, 2020 will bring, um, you know, a sense of quote unquote normalcy if you want, or we can get back to some of the things that we, we were used to loving, but hopefully we can get past this pandemic sooner than later. Definitely. And um, obviously we've both been able to kind of power through this pandemic. What, what, what do you do in your downtime or I guess kind of to unwind when you're not busy with classes or building out spry? I try to keep my normal routine before the pandemic in, in terms of like going for walks outside. Like, you know, like I walk around the neighborhood every morning from like 7.45 to 8.15 simulating like I'm going to work, even though I come back to my apartment and then I work from my apartment. Um, I try to like go for a walk during lunch to simulate me going to get to the place for lunch. So it's like, it's, it's little things I think I'm trying to keep me mentally safe during the days. Um, I find myself reading a bit more uh, than I once did. Uh, and I've just been, burning out or churning through movies on Netflix, HBO Max, anything that you've, where you can walk, buy a movie, I've probably watched it in the past six months. Have you watched uh, Queen's Gambit yet? I have not. It's on my list to watch this weekend. Watch okay. you, my little sister. All right, gotcha. No spoilers. It's a really good show. I feel like you'll finish that in probably one or two days, but it's really good. Um, I was going to ask, obviously you're a entrepreneurial minded individual. What is some advice you'd have for someone that wants to launch or start their own business? Um, you have to be resilient. Um, throughout your journey, uh, people are going to tell you that your idea is wrong or that you're going down the wrong path. But you have to somewhat believe in yourself to a certain extent and be resilient to all this feedback, I think, is one thing. The next thing is, like, be open. Be open to the feedback and criticism. Because I, I, I've gotten really good feedback from people, um, whether it was indirect or direct about my platform and we've made some of the changes and I think it's been for the better. So if a person says, hey, maybe this is a better application. So instead of dismissing that feedback, just listen to it, be open to these suggestions. Um, and always always take a meeting. Like if you know, I know it's difficult, you have to try to prioritize your time, but like um, Always interact with different people. Like you don't know what, who you're going to come across or who you might meet and how that might help you later on down the road. And for me, it's it's been very evident in you know my Uber journey. Like how I, how I found Uber was through a friend of a friend I hadn't talked to in like two years. Uh, who you know my first roommates in DC were friends of friends from college that I didn't really know. So it's like as as I started this journey, I would say like you know be resilient, be open-minded, uh, and you have to be flexible. Like you can't go into the situation saying, hey, this is the right way because the market could change. Something could happen. You could be in the middle of a pandemic and what you had in mind when you started might not be what, what's best for the company or the idea now. And you have to kind of be open to it. But I think all three of those are really good traits for any young entrepreneurs or people who are like, you know, trying to get something off the ground. Gotcha. That's, that's definitely great advice. Hopefully our listeners out there have a notepad uh, nearby. Um, last, I wanted to kind of ask, how can people get connected with you to learn more about Spry or kind of uh, stay in the know with what's going on with Lyle? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, backslash Lyle Adams, very simple, my first and last name, at LinkedIn. Or you can email me directly, Lyle, 
at spry, S-P-R-Y, payments.com. Um, so both sources are great. I'm usually very responsive. And like I said, if you have any questions or just like to grab a virtual coffee, um, I'd be happy to. Okay, great. Um, and uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to have some fun. Uh, I know that the NBA draft's going on behind us. So again, I wanted to say thank you for taking time out of your hectic schedule to come on the You Should Listen podcast, but I'm going to put you in a hot seat for a second. Are you down? Absolutely. All right, so five random questions. Just give me your honest answer and why. So greatest magic player of all time, Shaq, Penny, or Dwight? Or someone else? It's a tough question. Um, I would say Shaq. Um, Shaq, and he put Orlando on the map. Um, we were five years in to have a generational player get drafted um, at the time. Shaq changed. He made Orlando known as a franchise. Um, so, you know, while I'm sad he left that after his rookie deal to go to L.A., um, I'm forever indebted to Shaq for, like, making the Magic a known franchise. Okay. Next question. 15-minute phone call with Warren Buffett or 30-minute lunch with Elon Musk? Warren Buffett. Why? Um, Warren Buffett's been doing what he's been doing for the past 50 years. Okay. Um, and I think he still lives, I believe he still lives in the same house in Omaha, Nebraska that he bought with his um, wife when they first moved to Omaha, Nebraska. He's a very humble guy. So for me, it's like being an economist and all of that, being able to talk to Warren Buffett for 15 minutes on the phone, I think would be like, um, I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> See if I can set that up. Um, next question, unlimited time or unlimited resources? Resources and can, any kind of resources, is capitals, is people. Any kind of resources. Unlimited time. Okay. Um, run, on, run on the treadmill or run outside? Um, treadmill, um, being a former college athlete, my coach used to make us do 6 a.m. runs in oh, nice. the freezing cold and rain. <laughs> and so I kind of have a mental allergy to uh, running on a track these days. Gotcha. I hear you. That same here. I definitely prefer to because I can control the pace. Um, yeah. And last question: Most likely to start a TikTok or do karaoke? Karaoke. What's um, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I would say Madonna, uh, like a prayer. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, my, a Jackson 5 song okay. or Sophie B. Hawkins as I lay me down to sleep. Like I said, I'm an old soul, 80s child. <laughs> those are definitely uh, not the top of my list, but I know a few of those, so those are some good selections. And you are out of the hot seat. Again, Lyle, just want to say thanks for joining the You Should Listen podcast. Going to give you the last few seconds or so just to kind of shout out anyone or let anyone know how they can, again, follow Spry or any words of wisdom. Um, um, well, you should listen to the podcast for one. Um, so first off, later, thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful experience. Um, like I said, like, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or, you know, my email, once again, Lyle at SpryPayments.com. And for all those like budding entrepreneurs or those who are looking to, um, chase their passions, stay positive. Like I feel like you're going to face adversity during your uh, journey, but nothing worthwhile or rewarding it's easy so i would just say you know persevere and like as you get closer and closer you'll experience all of the 
obstacles a bit more as you achieve your goal. Gotcha. Appreciate those gems. Again, thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Layden Williams, the host of the You Should Listen podcast. We are out.